2023, our theme has been to engage everyone for eternity. So much of what we have focused on has tried to point us in that particular direction. When we think about the church as a whole, it is comprised of a lot of different subsets or groups that make it up. And so we have tried periodically to look into various places that make up the church in in the various stages of life. So I wanted to say this by way of preface as we get started this morning, that the lesson is focused on particularly our young people, our teens and our young adults. But I want to say as a spoiler alert that there's going to be more than just that group in mind because everything that's said has its focus on the future. And inasmuch as all of us are here this morning, there's at least some measure of future out in front of us. So for that reason, I won't be staring at you the entire time, but I hope that it will be particularly helpful to you and those of you in that period of time. Johann Gutenberg took two very good ideas, and he made a revolutionary idea out of it. He took the wine press and the coin punch and he made the printing press. The wine press had a principle in its invention that was able to press down over a large area of surface and extract juice from the grape. And the coin punch was able to focus on and press hard on a small area like a gold coin. And so in taking those two very good things, he created a revolutionary idea. Would you not agree with the assessment of experts that probably the greatest invention in the last millennia has been the printing press? You might say it's the internet, but the manuals that taught people how to do that had to be printed out in mass form. And so it goes back to how the world changed through a revolutionary idea. Young people, you are very good, but you're capable of extraordinary things. When you look at yourself as you are now, again, the word or the phrase very good would certainly be applicable, but revolutionary is the potential. Dr. Stephen Stahl, who was a dean over one of the major departments at St. Bonaventure University in New York, he had control over about 40% of the course material at St. Bonnie's. And he said that about half of the students in his part of the university changed their major at least one time over the course of their being there. And he said there's three major reasons why a college student will change their major once they go off to school. Major reason number one is that a college, one who goes to college had a high school teacher that really fired up a passion in them. And as they left school, the high school, they went to college and they got a little bit further away from that high school teacher, then they developed a different passion. Major reason number two was that so often young people go off to college and their parents have encouraged them or impressed them that they should pursue a particular interest and they go to college trying to honor their parents' wishes but once they get to school they find out that something else is a greater passion in their lives. Major reason number three is is that when one goes off to college and they've declared their major they are exposed to so many different areas of interest and Ultimately, they find that something is a greater interest than what they originally had when they went off to school in the first place. Anecdotal evidence suggests 
that college students will change their major as many on average as three times. And the Parental College Student Connection organization out of Boulder University says that 50% of all college students will change their major at least one time. There's an encouragement there. If the route that you're taking or the, the course that you're on has you in college, or if you look back a few years at the time in which you were there, it's important to do an honest self-assessment, to look at ourselves and our talents and ask ourselves what we can and what we should do. Bob Gates was the former president of Texas A&M University, and he later became the Secretary of Defense in one of our presidential administrations. And he said, when I was 18 years old, I wanted to be a brain surgeon. He says, who knows how many lives I changed because I changed my major. You know, whatever it is that you decide to do with your occupation, your future absolutely must include the Lord Jesus Christ. When you look at the road ahead, you think about this idea of the road ahead, what will I do for Christ? So often scripture refers to the path of life as a road. Jesus says there are two paths. There's the straight and narrow and there's the wide and the easy. And so we've got to decide what the road for us is going to be. And it lies ahead. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so God wants all of us, as we look to the future, to look down the road, that dark and foggy unknown known as the future. And he wants us to ask ourselves, what am I going to do to serve Jesus Christ? Let me say this. I don't believe, nor have I ever believed, that one had to be a preacher or be married to a preacher to be a faithful and effective servant of Jesus Christ. I moved here in 2019, and the 13 years before that leading up, including that year, I directed something known as Future Preachers Training Camp. And we had hundreds of young men throughout that period of time who actually came and spent time with us, and I did try to expose them to the blessings and the wonderful life that it is in being a preacher. And there were dozens of young men who eventually left from camp and they went on to schools of preaching and universities and trained to preach and are preaching today. But only a small fraction of all the young men who came through the camp went on to preach the gospel. We weren't just recruiting preachers. We were recruiting the leaders of tomorrow. When you think about how God wants you to serve Him in your future, I want you to realize that there are so many wonderful opportunities, but it involves asking some important questions about what we're going to do to serve God in the days to come. I suggest to you that our young people are important to us. We ask, why do you have a youth program, even an event this weekend that was focused on encouraging fellowship among our young people? Why do we emphasize so much our Bible camp? Why do we have such an emphasis on lads to leaders and leaderettes? Two of our eight vision groups are focused on those in this particular time of life, our young people who have not yet graduated, and those who are young adults and in the college age of life. As you look down that dark, uncertain road, ask yourself, what am I going to do to serve Christ? And how do I come to an answer regarding that? There are four things that will at least impact what you're going to do in serving Christ in the future. Number one, your future service to Christ depends on the decisions that you make. I don't know if the name Truett Cathy means anything to you. 
He was the founder of Chick-fil-A, owner for a long time. It's now still in his family, but he was also one who was very interested in young people. You can see that in the number of careers that he started throughout time through Chick-fil-A. But he also wrote a good book that we used when our kids were growing up that was entitled, It's Better to Build Boys Than to Mend Men. You know, the premise of that book is that we need to do the formidable training to help our especially young men to understand how to make wise decisions. If you don't know this, Truett Cathy was very devout. He was a very religious person. I was surprised, though, that this devout Baptist included a list from a gospel preacher by the name of H. Leo Bowles in a chapter on common sense. And Brother Bowles said several things about the decisions that he said he wished that he had known before he was 21. He said, I wished I knew by the time I was 21 that the things that I put in my stomach before I was 21 greatly affected my health after the age of 30. He says, I wish I knew before the age of 21 how to handle money. So I wish I knew before 21 how important it is to listen to and to take the advice of older people. So I wish I knew how difficult it was to change habits that I formed before the age of 21. I wish I knew of the value of the absolute importance of honesty. I wish I knew something of the value of the inspiring and knew more of the inspiring messages of the New Testament. I wish that I knew the absolute joy that comes in serving my fellow human being. And I wish I knew better how Jesus Christ wants to be my friend. You know, my grandpa used to say this to me a lot when I was in high school and I was in college. He said, you know, Neil, the old man has to live with what the young man does. And what he was saying there is, is that the decisions that we make in this formidable period of time, we're going to have to live with in the older version of us that we will arrive at someday. You know, Solomon in preaching, preaches to a diverse audience in the book of Ecclesiastes. And he says some important things in Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and chapter 12. In chapter 11 and verse 9, Solomon wants particularly young people to pay attention to the importance of being prepared for the judgment. And every time we talk about the judgment, perhaps what we think about is punishment, but we remind ourselves that the Bible tells us that there are going to be those who are saved as well as those who are lost on the day of judgment. And what he's saying is, as long as what we pursue, what we want, meets God's approval, he says, pursue those things with great vigor. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and verse 10, he talks about the importance of a proper attitude and how our future is determined by the kind of mindset and the kind of outlook that we have in our lives. Don't milk negativity. Don't become self-absorbed with the troubles of your life. And the earlier in life that we learn that, the better equipped we are for our future out in front of us. But it's when we get to Ecclesiastes chapter 12 that we remember and we kind of find more familiar the words that Chase read to us so well a moment ago in Ecclesiastes 12, verse 1 through verse 7. Solomon says, Remember now your Creator in the days of youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when you shall say, I have no pleasure in them. But that word remember doesn't simply mean to reflect and to recall. When you read about what Solomon says about remembering the work of the Creator in your individual life and in the life of this world, 
The word of remember deals with an implication of actions. When you think about remembering your Creator in the days of youth, God wants us. He implies that there are actions that He wants out of our lives. It's kind of like how it was and is with God. Do you remember in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and verse 19, the Bible tells us that God remembered Hannah? It doesn't just mean that God in heaven said, Oh yes, I almost forgot there's Hannah. It's something about what he does in, in 1 Samuel 1 and verse 19 that he decided to act in accord with his remembrance of her. When he remembered her, she who was barren became conceived with child. And so what Solomon is saying is that as you remember your Creator, you reflect on and you recollect all that He has done for you and what He has done because of who He is, you're going to act. And so that first principle is, as I look at the road ahead, how am I going to serve Christ in the future? It's going to depend on what it is that I have decided to do. If you have not yet obeyed the gospel, at least to this point you're deciding not to submit to Him and you're deciding not to follow Him. If you're not a faithful and involved child of God, what you have decided at least at this point is that you're not going to serve Him with your life. If you have not decided to be the same person everywhere, no matter who you are around, then you have opted for hypocrisy. When you think about their service for Christ, have you decided on some tangible way that you're going to serve Him? How do you go about doing that? If you've made the decision that you're going to serve Christ in some specific way, I don't know what it is. It may be that you've decided that a part of your life, like some in this congregation who have gone on short term and even some who have decided long term to go into doing some mission work activity, maybe that's what you want to do. Or maybe you want to be an active part of encouraging young people yourself once you get out on your own and you look back and you have the opportunity. Maybe you want to be a deacon or an elder. Maybe you want to be a Bible class teacher. Maybe you want to be known for your hospitality. So whatever it is, how do you make your way from the desire to do that to the decision to do that? Well, you've got to read what the Bible says about those things and read other good books that will prepare you for that. Look at people in your life, in your sphere of influence that are involved in doing that. Look at those who are already excelling in that. Maybe it's that you find yourself visiting with those who are in, in, in a way that they can guide you and lead you. Or maybe you volunteer to help around at the, in the church building. Or maybe you volunteer with a preacher or someone else to sit in as a silent partner in a Bible study. Find some area where you have a passion and an interest. Roll up your sleeves and do whatever it is that you can do now. But I suggest to you that in the road ahead, your service to Christ is going to depend on the decisions that you make. The road ahead, how am I going to serve Christ? First of all, it is based on the decisions that you make. But second, it is also determined by how you are developing your character. When we study and learn about character, we realize that character is who we are. And parents, by the way, we play a huge role in the character development of our children. Sociologist by the name of Albert Siegel says, Parents, you have about 20 years 
to create the civility of the infants that are born into our midst every year. He says these savages come to us without any understanding of language or of custom or culture or morality or civility. And so it falls to us to try to help in the developing of the character. What is character if it's not the customs and the cultures and the morals and the values that are out there for us to learn? Character has to do with the moral and the mental qualities that make you distinct as an individual. And so what God wants us interested in is tangible ways that we can focus on the development of our character. That's why Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but be an example of the believer in word, in faith, in conduct, in love, and in purity. And so here are some tangible ways that we can focus on our character development. What about the things that I'm saying? What about the things that I'm doing? What about my affections? What about my affirmations in this very context? The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, what I want you to do is to give attendance or attention to public reading of the Scripture. I want you to be absorbed in them. I want you to revolve your life around them. I want you to pay attention to yourself and also to the things that you teach. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 13 through 16. God's interested in our character development. You're looking at the first house that Kathy and I ever owned. 7128 Harvard Court in Mechanicsville, Virginia. It was a cute little Cape Cod. It was all bedrooms, about 1,100 square feet. And despite the little charm that we think that it had, it was situated several feet below street level. And this gravity problem created issues for us. I'm going to try not to be too graphic. But we had plumbing in the house, and as the result of that unfortunate build... Ever about once a year, the shower or the toilet would back up, and you could not ignore it. You had to deal with it immediately. Not dealing with it was worse, and so it was there that I learned how to use a mini root drainer cleaner and uh, had to use that thing far too often. But you know, what happened was that there was a problem that occurred in the pipes a long time before it ever came to the surface, and just the wrong thing at the wrong time, and we had a mess to deal with. You know, that's how it can be with character. We can look holy and we can look righteous on the surface and yet underneath it all that we're not developing the kind of character that we ought to and just the wrong thing and at the wrong time and it'll come out in such a way that's ugly. And so as I'm trying to consider the road ahead and how I'm going to serve Christ, I'm going to pay attention to my development of my character. little girl went with her dad to the carnival and immediately as she got inside she ran up to an attendant and she got this huge ball of cotton candy and she started eating it and her dad as a concerned dad would do say honey are you going to be able to eat all of that and she said don't worry dad I'm a lot bigger on the inside than I am on the outside that's what character is it's being bigger on the inside than we are on the outside As you think about what you're going to do for Christ in the future, it revolves around what kind of development of character is taking place in your heart and your life. It's going to be difficult to do great things for Christ if there are issues beneath the surface that need to be dealt with. As we look ahead to the road ahead, how can we serve Christ in the future? It's going to depend also on who your present influences are. You know, we may not like the thought of this, but people judge us by the people that we hang around. 
And while a lot of us young and old like to think that we're our own person who are going our own way and doing our own things, so often we find ourselves influenced by the world, by the world's trends, by the world's fashion, by the world's entertainment, and so much more. And most of the world is filled with followers rather than leaders. But God wants us to be leaders and not followers. He urges us to see the importance of standing out and being in a position to where those around us will be influenced to be better because of us. It's for this reason that the Apostle Paul and others write about this so often. He talks about women who were weighed down with sins, led on with various impulses in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 3. And he talks about early Christians who found themselves in a situation to where they were led away from the simplicity of Christ. In 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 29, and Paul says, I don't want you to be led away from Christ through false teachers. In 2 Corinthians 11 verse 3 and 4, and Peter speaks of some who have eyes full of adultery that do not cease from sin. They are accursed children who lead others astray. They're like Balaam, who is the son of Beor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8 that the devil would like to see who he can devour. The devil would like us to be unthinking and uh, susceptible individuals who follow him rather than God. But if we're going to do great things for God in our service to him, it's going to require us to be very careful about who the guiding influences around us are. So let me ask you this question. Who's having the biggest influence on your life right now? Are they leading you to get into your Bible more and to study it more faithfully? Are the people who influence your lives the most, are they encouraging you to walk more like Christ and to live like He wants you to live? Is the influences in your life right now the closest friends, the heroes of your lives? Are they encouraging you to be more active and involved in the work of the church? Or are they encouraging you to step away and to withdraw and to not take as much interest in the work of the Lord? The road ahead and the service that you do for Christ is going to be greatly influenced by the people who are the greatest influences in your life right now. The road ahead. What will you do for Christ It will also depend on the relationship that you have with God right now. When we look at our world, it can be a very scary place. If we could focus ourselves on the war and the crime and the sin and the poverty that's all around us, and if you are tuned into the news, it can be so frightening. But God wants us to focus so much more on the God who is greater than this world. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 4. He wants us to rely on Him. He wants us to bring to Him the concerns that we have in this life. And we need to ask Him as we develop that relationship with Him, God, how can you use me? How can I fit in to your work today and tomorrow? And I suggest that when you pray that prayer, He will open up doors that you never thought possible. He will allow ways for you to serve Him that you never thought would be within your reach. When you look at the relationship that God wants to have with you, you realize that what Solomon said was so true long ago in Proverbs 16 and verse 3, commit your work to the Lord and all your plans will be established. And when you face the scariness that this world can bring at uncertain times in your life, will you remember what the Apostle Paul said when he said, we are hard pressed on every side but not crushed, 
We're perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed, always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus may be revealed in our bodies. Of course, the very simple way in which you develop the relationship with God is you get into your Bibles and you study it and you pray to God and you serve Him. But also make older people your best friends. Volunteer for ways in which you can tangibly maybe shadow somebody who's serving as a deacon. Talk to our vision groups and say, what can I do? I realize that I'm, I'm not a finished product, none of us are, but what can I do to help? In the work of this church. Or perhaps what you want to do is to look into one of the particular vision groups and see what they emphasize and say, what can I be doing right now to get me closer to there? And you see, as you do all of these things, what you're doing is you're building your relationship with God. The question is, what will I do for Christ? The question is, what am I doing right now? You see, those two are connected. Today, right now, is the first step toward all that you're going to do for Christ in the future. I'm not a big play guy, but I remember having to read The Glass Menagerie when I was in high school. And there's a character in this Tennessee Williams play by the name of Laura. And Laura was this woman who wanted to get married so badly. And what she did was she sat in her house all the time just waiting for the man of her dreams to come and to knock on her door and to come in and fall in love at first sight and with her and get married. But she never did anything to try to get a young man to come to her door. So she was just sitting and waiting while life was passing her by. I wonder if we're tempted sometimes to do that in our spiritual lives. It can be tempting at every point in our lives, but maybe as young people we can say, I want to do great things for God someday. I'm going to be an integral part of His work. But if we're not careful all along the way, what we find ourselves doing is waiting, sitting, hoping for that opportunity to come and land in our laps when God wants us out there actively looking for how I can serve Him in the road ahead. But what does that depend on? depends on the very things that we've been talking about today. It depends on us understanding about the importance of the decisions that we're making right now and how it's impacting our future. To look at our character and say, what am I doing to develop that? To remove the things that don't belong and to do those things that will make me a stronger asset for Christ. And who am I allowing to be the voices that are the clearest in my ear and in my head? And what about my relationship with God right now? Do you remember how we started this lesson? We said that while there is an emphasis on our youth and our young adults, that this is something for all of us, that all of us have to do. The Apostle Paul was apparently an older man when he writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 13, and he says, what I do is I forget those things that are behind me, and I reach forward to those things that are before. I press for the, toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. In his context, Paul was saying, I forget I I lay aside all the, the accomplishments as the world measures them, all the things that it praises me for, all the ways that I've achieved in this life. He says, I count that but rubbish that I may gain Christ. But the principle is true no matter what it is that we have to forget. Maybe what we have to forget are the failures and the mistakes of our lives up to this point. If you're a young person, then that's a relatively small amount compared to what can happen over the course of a lifetime. But wherever we find ourselves, we're in the same place. 
That we have the ability to start anew, afresh, to forget the things that are behind us and say, in the road ahead, how will I serve Christ in my future? God needs us, each and every one. But it begins with where we are in relationship to Christ today. If you're not yet a part of the body of Christ, it involves making the decision to change that relationship through obedience to the gospel. It means that if we're not faithful as children of God, if we have walked out into the world and we need to come back to Him, that we take those steps today. God needs you, He needs me for all that lies ahead in this community and even in the further reaches from here. However God leads you in this life. If you need to respond to the invitation, won't you come right now as we stand and sing?